The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to episode 11 of On The List. Today is Tuesday, January 22nd, and I'm your host, Austin Bristow II, joined this evening by Matt McLaughlin. Matt, how are we doing? Austin, great to be here. How's your Tuesday night going? Oh, man, I am here. I am ready to go. It is chilly outside in Greensboro, North Carolina, but it's going to be nice and warm in here. We're going to have some great conversation tonight. You're joining me for our rankings debate series, and you and I are going to be discussing second base tonight. It should be a good conversation, Austin. I think there's a lot to offer at second base. I, I think there's not only the the luminaries, the, the names that people are familiar with, but I think there's a good so-called middle class, not speaking as an agent, but we're <laughs> speaking through the lens of, of fantasy baseball and the market in general. And I, I think there, there could be some significant surprises as well in 2019, both among names that people know, and we'll get into that, and among players that fans outside of that city that the player plays in might not be familiar with yet. Yeah, it's definitely going to be an interesting conversation. Now, if you haven't joined us here on the list, each week I am joined by one of our Pitcher List staff writers. We talk baseball, we discuss what they've been writing recently, and we like to do a little mailbag session here at the end where we answer your questions on the air. You can send those questions to us by email at community at pitcherlist.com, or you can send them directly to myself on Twitter. My username there is Bristowski, at Bristowski there. Now, Matt, are you on Twitter? I am on Twitter. My handle is announcer Matt, which ties into my life as a public address announcer around the Chicagoland area, as well as some other things that I'm involved in and have been involved in in the past in sportscasting. Well, there you go. We're getting right into it already, man. So you already gave us a little bit about kind of what you do. Tell us a little bit more. Tell me, you know, tell me a bit about yourself here. Well, Austin, I'm coming at you tonight from the suburbs of Chicago, from the northwest suburbs, and we uh, are fighting through an ice storm and some frigid weather this week, but but that's January, right? And this has oh, been... Oh, man. As you uh, know, I am also from Illinois. I'm yes, very you used are. to that. 
Yeah, yeah, you're you're from a, a high school basketball hotbed, Pontiac. But oh, yeah. we uh, rather I myself uh, have lived a, a good portion of my life uh, in the suburbs of Chicago. Grew up in the western suburbs, and now, like I mentioned, work in the live in the Northwest and work in the city every day. And in addition to a full time career in the trade show industry, I'm also continuing. Uh, something I did in the past, uh, being involved in the sports industry, which I was coming out of college uh, for a long time, for several years, and had a chance to do play-by-play in minor league baseball in the Northern League for an independent team here in the suburbs of Chicago, a team in Schaumburg, Illinois, which some in Pontiac might know for the Woodfield Mall, but they also had uh, minor league baseball and, and still have minor league baseball. And this was an opportunity um, in uh, tapping into pitcher list, playing fantasy baseball for several years, uh, really longer than that, going back uh, to the 90s with my college friends. And through trial and error, just discovering different ways to play, to play the game how I play, and in navigating the landscape and getting acquainted with this side and others, uh, it became something I, I was interested in and in, in putting my writing background to work. Fantastic. Well, as far as your uh, background in sports casting and whatnot, man, I could hear it in the voice. You got you sound very confident here. You got a great voice. I really dig it. And uh, on the Schaumburg note, uh, mm-hmm. while I do love the Woodfield Mall, I would like to say <laughs> across the street is one of the best breakfasts in Chicago. I don't know if you've ever been to Egg Harbor. Egg oh, yeah. Harbor is the place to go. There's a few different ones around the Chicagoland area, uh, but that one in Schaumburg is uh, near and dear to my heart in particular. I've been there many, many times. Oh, great breakfast. If you, anybody here is in the Chicagoland area and you've never tried it, you got to get out to Egg Harbor. We've got to get them to sponsor Pitcher List. Oh, man. They, let's get, they just let's got get a layup just now. <sighs> let's get on that. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, man. So... Tell me a bit about uh, your life in fantasy baseball. Like, what are the type, what types of leagues do you like to play in? How many are you in? You know, et cetera, things like that. Well, currently, as in as of the fall of 2018, uh, I played in two this past year. I'm going to be getting into the the pitcher list uh, staff league, pitcher list staff league, for a total of three. And as I mentioned in our questionnaire prior to getting this put together. I've always had an interest in Dynasty League as well and learning more about it from some of the staffers that I, I've been reading and following on Pitcher List. My legacy league uh, goes back to the early 90s with my close friends from Ohio University, and that is a traditional rotisserie uh, 5 by 5 format. Uh, I have been in it most of the time. There was a, a hiatus of a couple of years where I had to be away from it, but most of the time uh, since 1992 with my friends in college. Wow, so, so nearly 30-year-old league. That's impressive. Yeah, it, it, it really is. And we were, as a group, reflecting on that uh, last week in email and putting a, a draft together. I also play, Austin, in a league that even though everybody knows who Bill James is, I'm not sure anyone knows or anyone understands his uh, format connection to the world of fantasy baseball. I play in another league that utilizes the the Bill James format, which has 
Oh, interesting. All kinds of points that, for example, points for doubles, negative points for errors, points for quality starts. I'm still learning the format myself. I picked up that league had to fill in for someone halfway through 17 and then played the entire 18 season. That's run by my cousin out of Milwaukee. And I'm, it's a totally different mix of people. I'm the only one from Metro Chicago in that league. It's uh, sort of like uh, taking a rocket ship and being dropped into a, a nest of Milwaukee Brewers fans. <laughs> that That's definitely the, the vibe of this league, but really knowledgeable people. We have a lot of fun and, Again, uh, it's interesting. I, I was trying to come up with some ways to describe it, knowing that we would touch on it tonight. And I Googled uh, Bill James scoring format. You don't come up with much, but <laughs> in some way or another, it's been around since the 80s, this format. Wow. That's something that I am not all too familiar. And I've heard of, you know, interesting points leagues is like uh, Fangraphs Auto New and things like that. But uh, I've not looked into Bill James points format. I'll have to, have to check that out. And now I'm curious. This one is housed over at Fantrax and we'll definitely have to get into it a little more offline. All right. Well, we'll check that out. So you're from Chicago. Uh, you're from that area, at least. You said you're up in the northwest suburbs. Does that mean uh, are you rooting for the Cubbies up there, or are you a rogue Sox fan? Well, you know, it's interesting that you bring that up, Austin, because there are some rogue White Sox fans in the northwest suburbs. And in many cases, they grew up on the south side or in the south suburbs. And that's one of the neat things about the Chicagoland area. You could grow up one place, but you might move to another place with your family and you maintain your past allegiance. In my case, uh, my baseball lineage, for lack of a better term, is pretty interesting. <laughs> I grew up in a Cubs house. My dad was someone who, as a high school kid, used to caddy in a suburb called Wilmette. And then he would uh, jump on the L, which I think back then in the 60s was about a quarter, maybe 15 cents, and would take the L down to Wrigley Field after he got done caddying. So that's how my brothers and I uh, grew up uh, right as the uh, explosion was taking place with WGN-TV. Sure. But I also consider myself uh, very much rooted to the White Sox, White Sox experience as well. On my mother's side, my grandfather was a diehard uh, White Sox fan, and he was actually close friends with uh, a, uh, a gentleman who pitched for the White Sox back in the 40s, uh, a man by the name of John Rigney, Dutch Rigney. And he, John Rigney, uh, when he was up on the bump, I don't think he ever worried about Sierra or uh, fielding independent pitching, but he uh, had a decent pitching career, and then he was in the front office for a number of years. So. My mother, uh, when she was growing up with her siblings, they used to go to Comiskey Park. My my uncle, uh, who remains a great White Sox fan, took me many times to the old Comiskey Park, a, a place that I miss, by the way. I, I like I like the new park. They did a nice job uh, joining pitcher list. Uh, Adam Lawler's had some White Sox banter thus far. Sure. Some of our fans might know him from the Dynasty format. And... Another, I guess, sort of uh, aspect to my Midwest uh, baseball indoctrination, my cousins in Milwaukee that I mentioned, 
I've grown up uh, going to County Stadium, knowing a lot about the Brewers, hearing them. Where I live, you can pick up the Brewers in the car on uh, 620 AM, listen to Bob Euchre quite a bit. Yes, and uh, last but not least, uh, pretty strong, pretty strongly versed in, in Cleveland Indians knowledge as well through through college friends and through my wife's family. So it's been sort of a, a four pronged approach that's evolved over the years. Uh, the Indians coming a little later than those other teams that I mentioned, but really as an adult, uh, having a feel for all of them. Man, it's just a. Uh... A little amalgamation of the Midwest there. Yeah, absolutely. I dig it. I dig it. Good stuff. You know, if one team's doing well, you get to root for them. If another one is doing well, you know, jump on that wagon for a little while. I, I can get behind that. Well, it's not so much wagon jumping. I, I think I I think I made the reference more from the standpoint of, of having knowledge. Makes I, sense. I, I certainly, uh, like I mentioned, uh, grew up a Cubs fan and along with my brothers, uh, and we don't get a chance to do it as much as we used to, but debating the team, debating the roster, uh, top to bottom, hanging on every word of Harry Carey. That was certainly uh, how we grew up. I know uh, Harry's probably got a lot of fans in Pontiac too, maybe oh, even sure. some Cardinal fans. But as I have found, candidly speaking, when you're when you're doing things like this and when you're when you're playing in leagues and trying to make evaluations, I find it useful to have that have that wider lens and, for lack of a better word, uh, try to try to detach a little bit as best you can. Oh, absolutely. I think uh, in general, I try to make sure that uh, when I'm ranking players, when I'm looking to draft players, things like that, I'm being if anything, more scrutinizing towards the Atlanta players. You know, as an Atlanta Braves fan, I want to make sure that I'm not, you know, saying, well, Freddie Freeman's going to win the MVP this year, even though we all know he is. But um, he might. That, that being said, I don't want to put him, like, for sure in the top five discussion because, you know, Freddie Freeman doesn't steal any bases, which actually isn't that true. He's, he's I think he had like 10 steals last year. But I totally understand where you're coming from. You want to make sure that you're, you know, an, an objective uh, analysis there. And you want to make sure you're that you're giving everyone kind of that fair shot and not uh, not having your vision clouded by your fandom there. I think that's valuable too to people that that follow our content. I think certainly there's there's that fan in all of us. That's why we're here. That's why we're involved in it. And I think it helps us interact with the the fans and the viewers and the people checking out the site you're balancing that against the the duty the the thing that you and i were just talking about with objectivity analysis etc exactly exactly like no one was rooting for the braves against the dodgers harder than i was but uh you know at the end of the day I still want to make sure that I'm putting out the most accurate rankings that I can as far as how I specifically feel that those players will perform. And you know what? We are going to talk for at least a little bit about one Brave. And if you know that we're working second base, you may have worked out who that is. But before we get there, we've got a few more questions that I want to ask you here. So uh, you grew up a Cubs fan. Um, you have an all-time player, I'm going to assume, might be from the north side there. Yeah, you know, I really uh, liked Ryan Sandberg growing up, and I oh, think I think it coincided with 
really uh, the explosion of the 1984 Cubs, a, a team that still resonates to this day. I think they've somewhat been pushed off to the side by 2016. Sure. But before that season, the 1984 Cubs really uh, – held a, a very a very prominent place in Cubs history, in particular recent Cubs history. And that team really coincided with the explosion of WGN TV. And I didn't quite appreciate that until I went to college in Southeast Ohio for four years at Ohio University. And it's the first week of freshman year and this guy who has not been outside of Southeast Ohio very much in his life from from Athens, Ohio, a, a local guy. And he walks up to me and he found out I was a Cubs fan and he started analyzing the roster like uh, a guy from Naperville or Arlington Heights. And I thought, whoa, awesome. this is really the, the reach of this. And of course, all of this is before the internet, before social media, before all of these technological advances had taken place. But I can remember being in the stands with my dad, game two of the 1984 NLCS. It was still best of five back then. And they won and they took a 2-0 lead and they were one win from the World Series. And of course they got to the World Series in 2016. We know how that went. Absolutely, I will never forget. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, the WGN era was so amazing, and I guess to this day still a bit is. Um, I mean, TBS for uh, the Braves was how my dad became a fan and uh, then made me into a Braves fan after that. So it's amazing how these national TV deals were able to create fans across the country uh, beyond the typical reach of their team, you know, as WGN for the Cubs, TBS mm -hmm. for the Braves, things like that. And nowadays, everyone can kind of access anyone um, yeah. with MLB TV and at Bat App and things like that with the with um, MLB Network, all those kinds of things. It's really easy to find a way to watch whatever team you would like to watch. So it doesn't necessarily anymore have to be the team that your parents rooted for or the team that's in your area. If you find um, someone that you feel deserves your allegiance, feel free to jump in. I mean, I've got friends uh, that play in my Dynasty League that are from Australia and um, the UK who've uh, selected their teams, obviously not, not based on... Uh, you know, region or anything like that. So it's really a great time to be a baseball fan, I think, as far as, you know, availability of the sport goes. Yeah, without a doubt. And I think, too, that the time zone thing is taken for granted by people like us in the United States. Yep. Australia is, what, 17 hours different? Uh -huh. So it could sometimes be hard if you're walking down the hall to a meeting to tell your boss you have to watch Mets Phillies from the previous night. I, I I can't quite wrap my head around that. And you have to tip your cap to people playing dynasty ball down under. Yeah, he's, uh, you know what? Both of them, my buddy in uh, Australia and my buddy in the UK, they're doing a great job in that league and I'm happy to have them around. Now, I know you haven't been uh, with the squad here for too long, but is there an article that you've written that you're particularly proud of? 
Well, I think, Austin, it would have to be my debut on January 1st. It was posted New Year's morning, had a chance to work on it over the Christmas New Year's week. And that was exploring uh, Billy Hamilton, who we're not uh, talking about outfielders tonight, but I I really uh, like what he can do for the Royals. And I think there's uh, a setting there where he can not only post better numbers than last year, but also get himself moved. And I I think that's an opportunity uh, that I explored in that article. It it was really exciting New Year's morning to wake up and see that out on Twitter. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Hamilton's such an interesting case this year. After a down year, everyone's kind of down on him, you know. Everyone thinks, you know, it's Hamilton. he's, He's never been able to really hit. He definitely didn't last year, and now he's not running. But... If he's on the Royals, who we know love to run, and if they give him that opportunity, he could be right back to 60 steals and winning leagues for people because he's he's been a you know fourth fifth round draft player up to this mm-hmm. point, but now he's being taken, I believe, something around like 150 180 overall along those lines. So that's if he goes back to what he was, that is insane value at that point. So. He's definitely going to be a very, very interesting player to follow uh, in 2019 and one that I think very well may be worth a shot in those middle rounds. And you know what I liked about it too, Austin, was the fact that I I got a couple of uh, criticisms and that's fine because to me that, that shows the growth of our platform and the value that we have, the place that we have in this universe that in the first few days of January – for a team that is realistically not going to contend, or maybe there's a tiny single digit chance that they fight for a wild card, but they're not realistically in the hunt. However, we have Royals followers. A a couple of them took me to task about a couple of things, but I think that shows a, the passion and interest level of our fans and B the fact that Hamilton is a good person to write about because he sparks debate. He sparks conversation. Absolutely. Yeah, no, he was a he was kind of the main guy I talked about in my original spot article. Speaking of which, I really need to finish up that uh, follow up piece. I've been working on it for like a couple months now. I just kind of haven't been working on other stuff, and it kind of got pushed to the side. I need to finish that up though. Right, one more, one more question here before we move on to that second base debate here. So. Uh, we talked about kind of your role in baseball and things like that, your history with it. But what do you like to do outside the baseball realm? What's, uh, tell us about Matt outside of baseball. Well, I touched a little bit on my PA announcing, and I have a variety of public address announcing gigs uh, around the Chicago area in sports, pro college, high school. Pro-wise, I'm the public address announcer over in the women's game for the Chicago Bandits in the women's pro fast pitch world. Uh, The team that Jenny Finch made famous once upon a time. Uh, She no longer competes, but her imprint is very much on that franchise. I've done some PA work for DePaul basketball. I am current with them every spring for DePaul softball, for the DePaul women's softball team. I, I do PA for that team in the spring. And I also have a variety of assignments for University of Chicago, uh, football in the fall, men's and women's basketball in the winter. That's going right now. And also in downtown Chicago, uh, NAIA ball, the 
Roosevelt Lakers, uh, several players who I covered in high school. I do cover uh, high school sports as well. I know we talked about that a little bit off the air. Sure. I work for uh, one of the local Comcast networks, uh, Comcast Channel 100, and do uh, reporting and some occasional play-by-play for them. And uh, I should also mention my family. I have a lot uh, going on uh, in my home life uh, with with two children. I, I have a, a special needs uh, son who really uh, is someone that he, he's a very he's a very special individual in a lot of ways. Uh, he has uh, a variety of neurological challenges. Uh, he is nonverbal, unfortunately. So. Uh, he's, uh, he's someone that, uh, really since a young age, we've, my wife and I have, have worked with him and just tried to bring him to the best of his abilities. And we have a, um, a very gifted daughter as well, who's in eighth grade and excelling and ready, uh, for high school in about eight months. So it's a, it's a mixed bag. It sounds like you're a busy, busy man. My goodness. And we talk about second baseman, too. It's a little bit of everything. That we do. Look at that transition. We are going to talk about second base here, so let's get on into that. This week, we are continuing our rankings debate series here on the list, uh, where each week I'll have a guest on. We're going to go position by position until we've gone all the way through. This is the third week in a row now. I'm going to try and make it uh, one podcast every week for 10 weeks until we are all the way through every position here with our debates. Now, uh, Matt and I today will be discussing second base. Now, you did want to make a point. Uh, before, I want to note that before we get in here, uh, there are a couple guys who are not in my second base rankings, notably because my rankings, as far as eligibility is concerned, uh, follow the ESPN rules of eligibility, which are a bit more stringent than those mm-hmm. of, say, CBS or Yahoo. So someone like Jurex and Profar, who is uh, um, second base eligible on Yahoo, is not currently in my second base rankings. Uh, now, it's it sounds like he's going to be the everyday second baseman for the Oakland Athletics, so he will gain second base eligibility very, very likely uh, within the first two weeks uh, on ESPN formats. However, uh, he is not someone who you will find in my rankings as of right now. And certainly he's he's someone we're excited about, but your your explanation or many are excited about. I shouldn't speak for you, but oh, your explanation uh, put that into into good light. Absolutely. I, I don't know if you caught um, my discussion with Dan McNamara last week about uh, Profar, but no, I am very excited about Profar. He is one of the guys I am maybe the highest on this year. So maybe a bit unfortunate that we don't get to talk about him again this week, but people don't want to hear about Profar every week. <laughs> we'll have to dive into him some other way. All righty. So Let's start it off. You have a couple guys here that you think I am too high on, the first of which is D. Gordon. Now, D. Gordon here I have as my eighth second baseman. At, I have him ranked 87th overall. When we compare that to the NFBC ADP data, uh, they have him going in the 115th spot, which makes him the ninth second baseman off the board there. So I am a bit higher uh, than the NFBC. 
FBC data as far as that goes. So uh, I'm going to let you lead this one off. What do you? Why do you think I am? You know, too high on Gordon. Well, as I look at D. Gordon Austin, I'm wondering as he hits the age of 31, if last year was a sign of things to come. A lot of things seemed to go wrong last year for D. Gordon, and my first take i think the first take of many people when they're evaluating d gordon the first thing that pops to mind it's sort of like billy hamilton steals and the steals were i think decent and for a a late round middle infield type guy would have been just fine last year but 30 steals is what he had last year yeah yeah absolutely uh probably probably a little more than fine but there were from an eye test standpoint, uh, from an injury standpoint, you sort of wonder at 31 if he's going to be able to maintain that stolen base pace. Now, maybe he will be healthy. Maybe he will be settled in at second base. He's going to go back to second base. So that could be uh, mentally an advantage for him. I think part of my hesitation, too, was a byproduct of my opinion of other players and we'll be getting into that uh will others be able to to surge up the the rankings and push him down i wonder about the rebuild in seattle how will that affect opportunities to run how will that affect sort of the the mental grind uh, of the clubhouse day to day will he be okay with a rebuild i don't recall any public uh, statements from him yet it's a little early i think obviously he'll be uh when the mariners convene in spring training he'll certainly be questioned about it i i just wonder uh from an eye test standpoint if we could be seeing a decline as he hits his 31st birthday here early in the season in april Sure, and all that is perfectly understandable. Uh, he definitely did have a down year last year, batting only 268 um, with a 1.5% walk rate, resulting in a 288 on base. Of course, we're not getting much power from D. Uh, it's never been his game. He only hit the, those four home runs last year. But beyond the 30 steals, he really wasn't helping you in any category. Usually, you were able to get some runs from D last year. It was only 62 there, so it really wasn't helping you in any category beyond a good number of steals. Now, like you said, he is going to be moving back to second base from center field now that the Mariners have acquired Malik Smith. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll have Mitch Haniger and Domingo Santana filling out that outfield there in Seattle. However, with the acquisition of Smith, it seems that Gordon actually will be bumped down to the ninth spot in the order, and if that's the case, oof, that's going to hurt his opportunities just to you know get on base especially with his poor walking ability Um, still i do think that he's someone that i could get excited about i definitely recognize there is uh, more significant risk with gordon than we've ever seen with his career now that he is like you said going to be getting up to 31 not a really great time for a speedster in their career path However, um, what I found interesting is that he had a 50-point drop in his BABIP from 2017 to 18. It went from 354 to 304, uh, which may explain the you know 40-point drop in his batting average a bit. Uh, that that, 304 that mark, yes. 
Sure. And that 304 mark was 34 points below his career average. Uh, and if you look at his uh, swing profile, he's still hitting the ball just as pretty much just as often uh, as far as line drives, ground balls, uh, hard hit, things like that. It's all basically the same. Hard hits even maybe a little bit up last year. Of course, that may not contribute to batting average, but um, it definitely can't hurt. Now, Another thing that I found interesting about Gordon, uh, his spot went down significantly last year. Now, for those of you who aren't familiar, uh, spot or stolen base opportunities taken is a statistic that I actually created. Uh, like I said, I'm working on a uh, follow-up piece here uh, for that statistic. I'm working with Jeff Zimmerman of Fangraphs. Uh, he was able to get me some base running data so I could more uh, accurately calculate spot. but for his career, uh, D. Gordon has a 34% spot. Now, in context, anything really above about 20% is considered to be elite. Maybe like 22 is considered to be elite. So 34% for his career is massively impressive. He basically, whenever he has the opportunity, 34% of the time or about a third of the time, he's going to attempt to run, which is amazing. That's what you really want from someone who you want to really pile up stolen base totals. However, last year, his spot dropped to just 24.6%. So it's still really quite good compared to the rest of the league. But as far as his career, that is by far the lowest that we've seen. Now, I'm not sure whether that reflects a change in the team's willingness to let him run or if it's uh, something that he's doing himself. Uh, we're definitely going to be able to see going forward. Um, I think with Malik Smith there and really them batting back-to-back -back potentially with 9-1, and one, we could see some very interesting base running in Seattle. But I agree. I think there is, I think there is significant risk with Gordon. And uh, 87 overall, a top one. And having him within the top 100, that might actually be a bit too high. So I'm going to have to look into potentially moving him down. Or sorry, I've got that number wrong. I've got him 107th overall. I don't know why I had 87. 87 is actually Travis Shaw, the guy above him. 107th overall. That sounds a bit more reasonable. <laughs> and I think you made... My apologies there. You make some interesting points, Austin. The, the spot metric may very well have declined... Uh, when you look at a, uh, a fractured toe early in the season before True. June 1st, it's it's hard to get through day-to-day -day life with a, a fractured toe. Never mind uh, be a, a specialist, uh, a blazing threat on the base pads. And when that happens early in the season with so much calendar in front of you, I think physically, mentally, that becomes difficult. Uh, I did do a bit of uh, research today. I wanted to look up his contract status to refresh myself on that. And I'm reminded, and I think Austin, that a lot of people might've forgotten about this, that mammoth deal with the Marlins is still yeah. uh, in, uh, in D Gordon's uh, drawer and good for him. But yeah, it, he's, he's signed over the next three years for yes. something along the lines of 30 million, close to that, a little over. And for that reason, I, I believe, and and I'm interested in your take on it. I I believe that Seattle will will keep him and try to become good again while he is there. They've said they don't want to have a long rebuild, and it would really, uh, I think, be difficult to move him at this point. 
I agree. With an aging player that's uh, reliant on speed for most of his value, I don't think that his dra- his trade stock is very high, and even Jerry Depoto may struggle to move a contract like that. Now, with Depoto being the kind of trade-heavy uh, GM that he is, I really think this could be kind of a retool rather than a rebuild for the Mariners here. They've already gotten some players like Domingo Santana that are major league ready. And if some of those can kind of turn it around and uh, turn into some, you know, useful players right now, we could even see a decent, I'm not going to say like playoff ready, but decent Seattle team uh, within 2019 or 2020. So I agree. I think... I think in the next three years with Gordon's contract, I I, I don't expect him to leave Seattle. Um, I expect he'll he'll be one of the veteran presences there. Um, but at the same time, I do think they have a chance to become a bit more competitive than people are expecting them to be. Let's keep an eye on it uh, as we get into spring training. I, I'm looking forward to hearing his public comments as well. Should definitely be interesting. He's always been someone who's uh, never been afraid to speak his mind, but uh, always pretty eloquent as well. Mm-hmm. All right, so our next one here, uh, we're going from an aging speedster to a youngster that just hasn't quite shown us what he can do quite yet, and that's Yoan Mankata. Um, Mankata, for my rankings, I have him as my 14th second baseman, and that's going to be in the 159th slot overall. Now, if we compare that to the NFBC data, his ADP is actually 156, so nearly identical, which puts him as the at just the same 14th second baseman overall. So um, I'm really no higher than the rest of the industry as far as what we're looking for out of Mankata on draft day. So... My ranking here is fairly simple as far as why I have him where I do. At at a certain point uh, in the draft, floor becomes less of an interest and less of a priority, and you want to look more for ceiling and upside. Mm -hmm. And I think Mankata has maybe the highest upside of anyone, you know, especially in second base, anyone after the 100th slot or so. Because even after after his unsuccessful uh, two seasons that he's had with the White Sox here, uh, where he's struck out over 30% of the time, 33.4 in 2018, I still think he legitimately has 20 home run, 30 steal upside. I mean, just last season, it was 17 and 12. Uh, I legitimately think that we could still see that kind of upside. But at the same time, We've seen his downside as well, where he could be legitimately unrosterable in fantasy leagues. So what's your take here? Well, Austin, I I think you're correct. He unquestionably has a ton of upside. Really, in reflecting on what you said about the industry data, my grading of him as a little high is really predicated on my belief in a couple of people below him uh, that we're going to talk about later, uh, Cattell Marte and uh, DJ LeMahieu. Uh, I know sure. you're you're not a, a huge fan of the latter. We're not going to talk about Garrett Hampson tonight, really, but I think he too ha- has a chance to, to push past Moncada. Moncada, it's interesting, Austin, because he, sort of in the way that Jose Abreu is very much overshadowed by Anthony Rizzo, Yoan Moncada in a different market, in a different town, I think would 
be getting there'd be more focus on his struggles i think to this point i think frankly he's gotten a break in some respects from the media core although there are media people with that ball club every day when javier baez is the second baseman nine miles to the north and the 2018 that he had in a sense moncada got a break because he was playing on a 100 loss team he did have uh I guess, for lack of a better term, uh, a few hustle issues where Rick Renteria was disappointed at times. But we do have to remind ourselves he is only 23. I think he'll be becoming 24 early in the season. I'm wondering about the Machado situation, too. That could move Moncada over to third. It, It probably would if they bag Manny Machado. That's a big if, of course. And that's another conversation how might that factor in uh, that if it's going to happen, obviously has to happen pretty soon. And the adjustment would start in spring training. But putting that aside, uh, I I have a similar philosophy when when drafting to you, I think, in that vein of getting into the later rounds and playing for upside. Really, in, in this case, it was more about a few guys below who I think are better positioned uh Marte will get into uh LeMahieu uh certainly isn't going to run uh, I don't know that he's got a great spot metric but his other uh <laughs> pluses I, I think uh push him if things break right for him past Boncada in a significant way uh, and oh, we will Ham- talk about LeMahieu for sure. Yeah, we'll get into that. But <laughs> uh, Hampson as well. And really, I, I didn't intend to talk much about him tonight, but he, he pops up again. Moncada, I think uh, it will really be interesting to me to see how Moncada comes out in the first couple of months of the season. It's very cold in Chicago, typically, especially in April. And I'm wondering, I think Sox fans and those around the organization are hoping that he's benefited by playing in the cold in these last couple of Aprils. And we may see Moncada adjust to the Midwest weather. I think it would be important for him and for the White Sox who have a chance to surprise people to get off to a good start. And I wonder too, if being the co-headliner in the Chris Sale trade alongside Kopech, if that has sort of been a four-speed factor where perhaps there could have been a, a little more seasoning. He was the first of this wave of young people that they're excited about Austin to arrive on the south side. True. Yeah, and I know we're expecting uh, you know Eloy to be coming up this year. they got a ton of other great prospects. We got to see a little bit of Kopech last year before that was snuffed out. So uh, looking forward to when he's going to be able to make it back on the field after his uh, injury there. Yeah, I think uh, Mankata is such an interesting case. He's He is a true boomer bust player because I feel like there's very little in between for him. I feel like he's either going to continue to do what he did last year, where it's like the 230 range of the 30% strikeout rate, where you still get, you know, teens home runs and teens steals. Or he somehow puts it together and is able to get that kind of 20, 30 season I was talking about. Well, if he puts it together, I think the White Sox could be a real surprising story in 2019. I have heard in a lot of circles, and this is a 
broader conversation about the team beyond Moncada. You hear it tossed around a lot by national media, on radio shows, in articles. Oh, it's going to be I, – I, I read something pertaining to Machado. Oh, he would have to buy into maybe a year or two of not contending. I don't know that I buy that. Maybe one more year of not contending. But I think this team is pretty close, and every single year – there's that team that surges up. Did anyone see Oakland being in the wild card game in January of 2018? Or Atlanta Did anyone see or Philadelphia? Milwaukee? Yeah, I, I think uh, certainly I think people thought Milwaukee was going to be good, but I don't know if they thought game seven of the NLCS good. Sure, so I know there, I didn't. Yeah, there are always those surprises. And if if he captures what you're talking about, they have a chance to be one of those surprises, even without Kopech in 2019. Absolutely. So I think uh, with Mankata, it's just going to be a matter of how much risk you're willing to take at that point. If you've taken a lot of like, you know, safe players as far as, especially batting average at that point, if you put together a team that you feel confident that this level of floor is what you're going to attain, then a player like Moncada could be someone that you may be able to stomach in those mid-rounds. If not, if you put together a risky team already, you may want to start aiming for a little better floor than someone like Moncada. Now, with our last one, you think I'm too high on here, uh, a bit of more of an upper echelon second baseman here. I have him as my fifth second baseman at 65 overall. Uh, whereas the industry, uh, the ADP has him 52nd as their fourth second baseman. That is Ozzy Albies of the Atlanta Braves. Uh, so I've got him fifth, they've got him fourth, and you think I'm a little too high, even though I am a bit behind uh, the ADP as far as that goes. What's your uh, what's what's your Ozzy Albies? I, I I do I do certainly like him, Austin. I think that that ranking could very well be right on if Ozzy Albies uh, makes some adjustments from his second half where you have him could very well be right on it could even swing the other way he could even get a little bit higher where I hesitated just a little bit I just want to see uh, a little more I, I really loved uh, that Bill James League that I mentioned earlier I had uh Albies in that league and really loved watching him over the course of the summer. I think that his work and his adjustments, he seems to be a, a very hard worker from everything I, I've read and observed. And I think there were a few metrics that were a little bit uh, unkind to him in the second half where he, he got a little bit uh, unlucky on, on some fly balls, as I'm recalling from an article I saw. So I don't think he's way high. I just think that a couple of uh, older guys like Daniel Murphy and Brian Dozier could could really explode in 2019, health permitting. They're wild cards, but they're playing on contending teams as he is, and they could uh, they could surge up and push him down just a little bit. A and B, I just. I want to I want to see a little more over the course of that six month grind. I think what's very interesting 
is that relationship that he has with Ronald Acuna and Oh, that is they, my favorite thing on this earth. Yeah, they they seem to really push each other and for that reason I think like I said it could go the other way too. He could be uh, he could be top 3 conversation if those adjustments are made. Sure. Yeah, the the bromance between Ozzy Albies and Ronald Acuna is adorable and i love it so much as a braves fan it makes me so happy but as far as you were saying with uh um brian dozier who we'll get to actually in just a moment Mm -hmm. and daniel murphy with murphy he actually would not be able to push uh albies down in my rankings because i have murphy ahead of albies at fourth overall or oh, in my second base ranks, my fourth you know what? second baseman. You do, you do, and that is one hundred percent my mistake. <laughs> that, All good. You no, know, I just want to make sure uh, it was at least mentioned once in the second base mm-hmm. kind of preview here. Uh, Daniel Murphy is one of my favorite second base targets this year. I think he's got a legitimate chance to win the NL batting title with his kind of bat to ball skills out in Coors Field, but that's not who we're talking about. Let, let me give my case for why I've got Albies where I do. So he's, he was an interesting case for this past year, I think, because the industry was so high on him, um, and the fantasy baseball industry especially. Um, I remember a few different podcasts. I think uh, Paul Spore was really high on him from uh, Fangraphs there and was kind of pushing that price up a bit, I think. But after... The season started, we had such an amazing April where he hit, I think it was nine home runs in April, and we got that confirmation bias, and everyone's like, oh my gosh, this kid is the greatest ever. And then the rest of the season was just kind of blah. (laughs) But here's the thing about Albies, as far as I'm concerned. I don't think that he's going to continue to hit for the kind of power that he did in April. I don't think that's his game. It never really was in the minors. Uh, In the minors, he never totaled more than nine home runs in one season. That just wasn't what his game was about. He's always been more of a contact hitter um, who, you know, uh, hits for average, steals bases, things along those lines. Now, I don't, what I'm expecting from Albies in. 2019 here is something along more along lines of say uh, maybe 15 home runs as compared to his 24 he hit last season it's like say like 15 home runs maybe 20 steals which is would be up from his 14 he got last season and uh, something like a 275 average uh, which that doesn't like blow your socks off by any means 15 20 275 that's not something you're like oh man I gotta have this guy but at the same time Man, that is, from your second base spot, that is something I will take every time. And so young and still learning. 22 years old. Yeah. In in many ways, I think uh, because the Braves were such a good ball club last year, people forget that, that he really was learning on the job. And if these things that we're talking about click together, he could be uh, elite in 2020 no doubt about it and i think when you look through the lens austin of real life baseball and we talked about the eye test a little bit earlier i think back to an april weekend at wrigley field just absolutely miserable and i've i've seen some really seen and been in some really cold dreary april days at wrigley field 
And they played on a Saturday afternoon where they probably should not have been playing. And Joe Madden didn't think they should have been playing. And Ozzie Albies was flying around the diamond like it was 85 degrees in the middle of July. He homered in that he, game. He had a leadoff home run that game. Yeah. You know why I, I know that? I was at that game. You were there. Well, I was there. I was in the upper deck. I was freezing. It was one of the worst, <laughs> like w- maybe the worst weather for any professional baseball game I've ever been to. It was so miserable. My, the Braves got took a commanding lead. Uh, they, I think they were up like something around the lines of like 14 to 5 or something yeah. like that by yeah. the seventh inning stretch. And uh, my best friend and I, who's a huge, huge Cubs fan, he uh, he was living in Chicago. Uh, we at the seventh inning, we were like, "This is disgusting." There have been so many errors. Uh, the Braves are already gonna pull this. Like they, they're already winning by so much. We're leaving. So at the seventh inning stretch, we left. Do a you remember people- how that game ended? Yeah, the Braves did not win that game. It ended with an epic. Uh- I was listening to working around the house and hearing Pat Hughes in the other room and the intensity of Pat Hughes and Ron Coomer was slowly rising through the ceiling. And it wasn't uh, so much about Albies anymore. I believe Albies might have tripled in that game, too, if I'm not mistaken. He, if I remember right, he was a double shy of the cycle. And uh, what ended up happening uh, in the last two innings, the Braves gave up. I think it was like nine or 10 runs uh, about half of which were unearned based on just a bunch of errors because everyone was freezing. No one could throw the ball straight because they couldn't feel their fingers. It was raining slash sleeting uh, throughout the entire game from first pitch until the very end. And the Cubs ended up winning that one. Oh, it was, I was listening to it driving back down to Pontiac and oh my gosh, it was one of the most heartbreaking things. So since that day, uh, on that day, my buddy and I, who went to the game with me, we both swore that we will never leave a, a major league baseball game early ever again in our lives. Like it just, it won't happen. We're not leaving early. Uh, we're going to stay for the entirety of a game because that's what we're going to do for the rest of our lives. Words to live by. And I think that game, Austin, uh, not to hang on this too long, I think they replayed that game on Christmas Day on Chicago. And the weather on Christmas Day was better. It was. We had a warm (laughs) Christmas this year. I came came back to Illinois for Christmas, and I think I only had to wear a sweater. (laughs) All right. Well, we don't need to dote on that game too much more. And I think we've said about all there is to say for Albies. He's got some great upside. Uh, It's just a matter of whether he can kind of turn it around from what was a pretty poor... Uh, second half for him there now moving on to our t- guys so you think i'm too low here if we want to talk about poor second halves and poor first halves let's talk about brian dozier mm-hmm. who you know typical brian dozier he wasn't very good in the first half and everyone's like well wait for it wait for it it's coming in the second half like it has the past two years he's gonna be great he's gonna end up hitting those 40 home runs again he gets traded to Los Angeles for the Dodgers there, and he kind of gets jerked around as far as his playing time goes, and it just never quite happened for him. He never really got his footing in L.A., 
ends up finishing the year with a 215 batting average uh 21 homers 12 steals uh, so the counting numbers really weren't so bad there but oof that batting average definitely hurt now for me I, i'm just i don't know what i'm not sure what to expect from dozier in 2019 what what do you think we'll get from dozier give me some kind of projection as far as you know batting average home runs and steals what do you what are you projecting for 2019 for him I think Brian Dozier could really be one of the monster pickups of 2019. I think that, and I, I, I put a lot of thought into that. I don't just jump into that lightly, but I think our, our listeners and our fans, uh, they like us uh, here at Picture List to swing for the fences once in a while. And I'm going to swing for the fences on Brian Dozier. It's a little out of character for me in terms of, my general drafting philosophy to jump at a guy who's north of 30 years old and has been banged up a little bit. He's only 31. Uh, you mentioned Paul Spohr a little bit earlier. I, I read a nice piece. Uh, uh, I think he's written about Brian Dozier a couple of times recently over on Fangraphs. And sure. he said something to the effect of the, the plate discipline numbers in 2018 stayed the same now there was there was a decrease in in fly ball rate uh i i recognize that uh that that certainly occurred i think however that if he is able to regain health he he was he was banged up uh in his walk year he's had back problems over the last couple of years it just didn't go well for him if he has healed up properly this Washington lineup without Harper is going to be very formidable. If they bring him back, just imagine the ripple effect, how that deepens the lineup. Ryan Dozier hit 42 home runs in 2016. I think that you could see a 40 home run season in 2019. I know that's extremely bullish, but I think you slot him into that lineup Let's say he's in the two hole, which is where I saw him on roster resource uh, a little bit earlier today. Uh, I, I stand corrected. I, I think I saw him in the six hole, but uh, I, I was thinking of someone else for a moment. But I, I think even in the six spot, you're going to have to pitch to him because there are going to be guys on base in front of him and there are a couple of threats behind him. I think that he can drive the baseball i think he's going to be energized by a pennant race i think steals low low single digits or low uh double digits sorry i don't think sure that will be spectacular i think that will be as you put it sort of second base solid but where he could really be a story in 2019 is power i i do not expect a robust batting average i don't think it's going to be 215 again but I I project that uh, ballpark 240. I, I think it's really hard to project batting average in general. Uh, that's something that I'm still trying to get better at, candidly. But I, I think that in that lineup, and they're not out of the Harper thing at all, I, I think he could, he could really be energized and excited. And uh, a chip on his shoulder, too, with the short term. And trying to show people uh, that last year was an outlier. 
So I'm looking at um, Dozier's Fangraphs page here in front of me, and I see that his um, fly ball rate is still well over 40%, which is good for a uh, power hitter there. His hard hit rate actually went up from uh, 2018 after his 2017 season, so that's interesting. Really, everything looks pretty static otherwise. Like, his walk rate is exactly the same at 11.1%. Uh, his strikeout rate is basically the same, right around that 20% again. The biggest difference I see here as far as his underlying statistics is a 60-point drop in his BABIP. It dropped from t his 2017 mark of 300 to 240. Exactly 60 points there he lost in his BABIP. And he has a career BABIP mark of 271. So I really do think we could see some form of bounce back as far as that statistic goes. And if he's able to maintain those other underlying numbers like the walk rate, the K rate, and the fly ball rate, I definitely could see where you're coming from on a resurgence here. Um, personally, and I heard you gave your uh, projection of something more along the lines of, uh, say, like 10 or 11 steals with 40 home runs, maybe. That's a little bit bullish, you said, but mm -hmm. I respect it. I think we could see something along the lines of a 250 batting average, anywhere from like upper 20s to low 30 homers. And I think he could do like 14 steals. I think he's still got that good speed there. And you know what? That, I think, is enough for me to move him up a bit. Now, as far as moving him up goes, it's very interesting because he is kind of in this block of dense second baseman in my overall rankings. If we look at my overall rankings for this area, let's throw Jerickson Profar in here since he's going to be second base eligible pretty soon after the season starts. I have him at 106 overall, then D. Gordon's there at 107, Glaber Torres is there at 110, Robinson Cano 112, then Brian Dozier comes in at that 118 mark and Rugnet Odor finishes that chunk out at 124. So from about that eighth second base spot to the 13th, there really is only around 20 spots in the overall rankings. So it's very interesting that they're so dense right in that section. It's kind of its own little tier there of uh, really mixed bag of players from Profar to Cano and Dozier down to Odor. It's really an interesting mixed bag of kind of the young guys and these uh, more veteran players. So if I do end up moving uh, Dozier up, um, I think I might even be able to put him over a guy like Glaber Torres. Um, I think I'm going to be moving D. Gordon down. I think you convinced me there. I'm going to move him down probably below someone like Cano. And... Dozier may get a bump up over Taurus. There might, there's going to be a a bit of movement in that tier for me. Uh, so you've, you're kind of you're kind of convincing me here on some of these guys. So well done. Well, I think Austin that one year contract uh, for nine million dollars. Uh, that's certainly uh, a lot of money, no question about it. But as I alluded to um, a moment or two ago, I think that could really fuel a hunger or on top of the hunger of being with a contender. Yes, he was with the Dodgers for the stretch drive last year. And I think they didn't really have time for obvious reasons to get him going. And yeah. they had uh, they had other options at second base, maybe in a different scenario. He might have played his way out of it. I'm intrigued right now. Uh, that's a really 
interesting ball club. Just taking Harper out of it right now, you've got a you've got a motivated uh, Rendon uh, approaching free agency. You've got the continued evolution, the maturation, presumably of Trey Turner. You've sure. got the unbelievable talent of Juan Soto. You've got Victor Robles, uh, Adam Eaton. If if Harper's not there, Adam Eaton is probably going to give you something. We're not diving into outfielders tonight, but <laughs> it, it's that that overall uh, depth of of lineup. And sure. then, like I mentioned earlier, wow, you you get Harper in there. I think that really uh, elevates Brian Dozier right there by itself. Yeah, I can't. I can't disagree. And as much as I, much as I don't like the Nationals as a Braves fan, I, I do. They still do have a solid ball club. I must admit. All right, so I think he did convince me, but they'll have to bump Dozier up a little bit. But this next guy, I'm very interested to hear your case on, because I didn't think I was too low on Cattell Marte, but. Apparently, I may very well be in. Uh, well, let's just get into it. I have him at uh, my, as my 17th second baseman uh, at 198 overall. And I actually do have him a bit higher uh, than the ADP from NFBC has him. They've got him at the, t- at the 230 mark there, which once you're getting down around 200 range, that 30 spots there really isn't such a big change because they've got him there as their 20th second baseman. So... Give me your case on why you think I'm too low on Cattell Marte. Well, I think, Austin, it was, uh, again, understanding what you said about the data, I think it was just a byproduct of the the opinions on a couple of other guys combined with the fact that I, I think he could, he could really surge. Uh, I have to give a ton of credit to Ryan Amore of Pitcher List, and I hope I'm pronouncing his last name correctly. I'm nearly positive that's right, because I know he's made the that joke before. Yeah, we haven't. <laughs> he and I haven't spent a lot of time together uh, in the in the chat room yet, but he he really did a nice job of breaking down uh, Cattell Marte, who I who I liked last winter. Now it it didn't quite all clicked together for him in 2018 but he's an interesting guy in that he's also eligible at shortstop and i think and he's going to be playing center field for them this year now that wilmer defoe or sorry wilmer flores is going to be their full-time second baseman so second base shortstop outfield eligibility is definitely going to help yeah i think it certainly will and i think that in a league with a middle infield spot he could slip down to that range A or B, be thought of as a shortstop, and that benefits you from a second base standpoint. We here at Pitcher List, uh, thanks to Ryan and others on the staff, found some video uh, of him raking against uh, Clayton Kershaw, one of the best in the business, including that uh, 2017 a playoff uh, appearance where he took Kershaw deep. Now, okay, it's one at bat, and it was a while ago, and there were a couple of good at bats against Kershaw. But I, I really, um, and I, I have to be really diligent about giving Ryan credit for this work and not myself. Ryan pointed out uh, on our platform on pitcherlist.com that 
Marte uh, ran in the minors, and that hasn't quite clicked together yet. I think he had a 24 and a 25 uh, bag line in the minors. A couple of seasons plus 20 hasn't happened yet in the big leagues. Doesn't mean that it won't. And I think he could very conceivably be in that 12 to 15 range here in 2019. I think they want to really find out about him. Goldschmidt's gone. You mentioned the multi-position eligibility. This is yet another one of these ball clubs. We seem to be talking about a few of them tonight, Seattle earlier, that is going to be retooling and they're going to run him out there and see what he has. Now, the the parallel uh, in that piece back around the 18th, 20th of December, you could find it in our archive, the parallel to a young pre-explosion uh, Frankie Lindor was very interesting. Uh, that's a lot to put on that kid, but I think that uh, there are there are some similarities. I think I think Ryan in particular spent some time on the launch angle. Before I was involved with Pitcher List, I, I believed in him last year. Like I said, it didn't didn't quite click together. I think this is that classic case of the post-hype sleeper. And that Theo Epstein Jet Hoyer quote seems to get out there a lot. Progress isn't linear. I think they sure. were the first to say it, at least the first in baseball. And I think we could be seeing it with Cattell Marte if he can stay healthy. I think he's going to be out there a lot north of 145 games with with this position eligibility that we're talking about. And I, I think in a relatively pressure-free environment uh, where they're not expected to contend, they could really find out a lot about him this summer. Yeah, and I, I don't disagree per se. I just, I know he's going to be out there a lot. He, he played 153 games for him uh, last season and just looked pretty good. He had a 260 average and 14 home runs. That's not bad by any means. Now, here's where I'm at on Marte. I kind of like Ketel Marte. And that exact phrase is about the best I can say about him. Mm-hmm. Because I, I do. I do like Marte's batting average and on-base skills. Uh, he's got almost a 10% walk rate last year. He's going to get on base pretty consistently. And I do think that he should be very good in those categories in 2019. Uh, maybe a 270 or 280 average even. I think that's very attainable for him. I'm not sure that he's going to be able to hit more than 20 home runs. In fact, I would, I would definitely project him to hit fewer than 20. And I'm... I wasn't as keen on the stolen bases before you uh, pointed out his success in the minors. I, I'm seeing those now, and I'm looking at it, and I'm like, okay, so maybe he can steal some bases. Uh, I, I could see him doing that now, so I'm kind of readjusting on the fly here. I'll have to check out like his uh, sprint speed on StatCast and check his spot and things like that, see what I expect from him as far as stolen base production goes. But on the other end... I, he's not in a great lineup. I don't really expect him to score many runs or RBIs. They've got him in a leadoff spot projected as far as roster resource says right now with Eduardo Escobar and David Peralta hitting 2-3. If those two guys do what they did last season, 
and Marte is on base as often as he has the potential to be, he could be a decent um, source of runs there. But that's a lot of ifs to to kind of get there. I don't know. I'm just not sold on the skills at this point, I don't think. Like I said, I like his, um, particularly his batting average and on base projection. Uh, I do not like his power projection as nearly as much as uh, some others may. I, I'm not sure. Um, I'm not sure I'm kind of willing to move him up at this point, just because I'm not. I don't know what I'm chasing. I guess I don't. I don't realistically see him being someone who could, um, you know, be your starting second baseman. And even in those late rounds, around the 200th pick. Like, you may not be looking for that at that point, but I'm just not sure, certain that this is kind of the upside that I want to chase at that point either. I think, again, my uh, thought process uh, was to take a swing on a guy who I've been been tracking and who I think uh, could make an impact. And then Ryan's piece, and I, I hadn't been aspiring to write about him, uh, at least not at that immediate moment, but Ryan's piece in, in many ways uh, got uh, got on the wavelength that I was on, and you are certainly correct. He's, he's not in a particularly good lineup right now. I think as I, as I look – Jonathan VR, who's excellent at steals right now, uh, is a little bit ahead of uh, Cattell Marte. Now, I know that wouldn't be a huge jump to pass one guy. I, I understand your argument there. If, um, uh, let's say, let's say Moncada scuffles and, and Marte really breaks out, I think that was, that was part of my uh, thought process in, in thinking that, that he can make a push this summer. Okay, and I see I understand that. Um, we'll just have to see how it works itself out at this point. I think as far as if we're talking, you know, VR, Moncada, Marte, if they're all available right around that 200th pick, I'd definitely go with either Moncada or VR just because of the upside that they have. Uh, with Marte, I just don't – I think there's a safer floor with Marte than those two. But once we're getting around pick 200, I'm definitely much more interested in upside than I am floor. Do you want to keep moving, though? I want to talk about our last guy we've got here. And this one I think should be interesting because, I'll be honest, I just don't like DJ LeMayhew, especially outside of Coors Field. I, After his uh, signing with the Yankees, I've now got him at uh, 253rd overall, which makes him my 22nd second baseman. And uh, NFBC has him right around that range as well. They've got him 231st as their 21st second baseman off the board there. Now, I'm just going to go ahead and give my piece here first. Mm -hmm. I hate the idea of DJ LeMayhew outside of Coors Field. If we look at his splits, uh, just for batting average, in which is what you know, you're know you going to be looking for out of LeMayhew um, specifically, he's a guy who we've looked for in the past as a very reliable batting average guy. He's had, just in the past four years, 301, 348, two, uh, 310, and last year was a bit of a down year at 276. The reason that down year may have occurred, let's look at his home-to-road splits last year in batting average. It was 317 when he was at Coors Field. And only 229 on the road. That's rough. Now, 
besides that batting average and the runs that he would reliably give you in that good um, Colorado lineup, I'm just not sure what more he has to offer to your fantasy team. He doesn't steal anymore. He hasn't had double-digit steals since 2016. Um, he has never been much of a power hitter. His 25, his 15 steals from 2018 last year were, was a career high. And outside of Coors Field, I don't expect him to, you know, be hitting 15 again. I'm just not sure what he's going to offer to you outside of that batting average. And if he's now outside of Coors Field, I'm not sure he even offers that. And really, even on top of that. I don't know that he's going to have a reliable spot in the lineup all season. I do think he'll find at bats while at second base while Didi Gregorius is out. I think Gleyber Torres shifts over to shortstop and he plays second base until um, Gregorius comes back. But once Didi's back, where is he going to play? Because I do think the Yankees are more likely to sh- put Didi back in that shortstop slot and shift. Uh, Glaber Torres back over to second base. And I think there may even be a bit of concern while Didi's out. Troy Tulewitzki's there now. And it, I think it could be a case where we may have a bit of a platoon here between LeMahieu and Tulewitzki, where Torres just kind of shifts back and forth between second base. If uh, if Tulo's in, uh, he plays short and Torres plays second. If uh, LeMahieu's in, he plays second while Torres goes back to short. So I'm just concerned about playing time, about his production outside of what we know to be a very, very hitter-friendly Coors Field, and just what he's going to offer to your team. Well, I think, Austin, I I go at that uh, a couple of ways. I I understand where you're coming from in many ways, and the splits last year, they, they are what they are, and they were certainly troubling. I think that this could be what is now commonly known in the industry as an analytics sign where Brian Cashman and his analytics people have something that frankly we don't have right now as outsiders. Nick Gurley, our colleague here at Picture List, uh, did a really nice job of finding uh, the overlay, the, uh, the heat map overlay it might have been or it might have just been a, a park transformation overlay, taking his batted balls at Coors Field and taking them over onto Yankee Stadium. I'm actually glancing uh, at the monitor uh, right now, and we can't know what would have happened, but there's a hypothetical based on some pretty solid data here that there could have been another eight to 10 home runs at Yankee Stadium saw something uh, very similar to what Nick did the other night uh, over on Fangraphs, where they took the the heat map overlay of none other than Derek Jeter, and from age 28 to age 40, his heat map. Uh, now I understand Lemayhew; um, he hasn't been around 12 years, but <laughs> they're their approaches are are very similar on on batted ball data i'm not saying they're the same player but there's a there's a yankee stadium overlay realizing that lemayhu hasn't been there yet there there's a very very striking similarity here's another thing in in real life getting away from 
the hypothetical uh, ballpark overlay for a minute. I think that we talk about the pressure of New York a lot. Uh, I know a couple of our writers live in New York. I, I do not, but I hear from friends there about the, the pressure. I don't think there is any pressure on him. The guy that paid a lot of money for Yankee tickets on a Tuesday night, they don't care about his three-year deal and the millions that he's getting. They care about Judge and Stanton and Tanaka and Sanchez. Is Sanchez coming back? What's the story? What? Why can't? Why can't Bird get it going? Uh, and what if one of these other big fish is out there? There's going to be that much more focus on on that guy. Let's say let's say Machado ends up there. That's a whole other kettle of fish because that infield's crowded right now. I think too, Austin, that the uh, blockage thing, yes, it's a factor. But if you think back to last winter at this time, Brendan Drury was widely considered to be in place ahead of Miguel Andujar. That situation was settled by the 20th of April, maybe a little bit earlier. I'm not especially sold on on Troy Tulowitzki. It's it's nothing personal, but I think that you've got a couple of major chronic heel injuries. He he could be out of the picture pretty fast, and I think that Brian Cashman and company have been thinking about that. Have been thinking about the six month season, the the injuries that inevitably pop up the the grind of it, uh, even if Tulowitzki isn't on the DL, are we going to have to spot him? Are we going to have to maintain him? Your point about Didi, very valid. But what if there's a, a setback in the in the progression back from the, the Tommy John procedure? It is physician player Tommy John. I, I think LeMahieu, if he's performing, the, the Didi thing will take care of itself and and sort itself out. Uh, I think that there's an opportunity here to, if you can fly under the radar in New York, I think he could slot into potentially the the two hole and, and be uh, be a really nice pickup. Uh, yeah, I definitely recognize that um, there are opportunities. There are there are things that could happen. That will give him, you know, his opportunity to do well. Um, whether there's a, whether there's uh, another injury for Tulo, which there inevitably will be. Um, whether Didi has a setback, things like that. Um, he definitely, I think he's. They want to give him a shot. I'm just not sure how long he'll be able to hang on to that shot. Like if Didi does come back, things like that. As far as the two hole goes, I I don't see that happening personally. Um, Right now, as far as if I'm looking at roster resource here, they've got Gardner leading off with Judge in the two hole. Love his on base skills right there. He might be a little better than (laughs) they do at this stage. Very well, maybe. Uh, Aaron Hicks, then they have in the third spot, Stanton four. Then it goes Sanchez and Duhar. Labor Torres all the way down at seven. Then Voight, and they got LeMahieu projected to hit ninth. Um, which I I don't know. I can't really debate that too much. Even if that is the case, that's not too big of a you know hit against his value. 
I'm just, I'm not sure I see the upside. Again, I don't think, I think outside of Coors Field, his floor has gone much lower than what it has been in the past. And I just don't know that he has the upside because I don't think you'll get the counting stats from him uh, outside of maybe runs. Um, because I don't think he's, he's not a guy that gives you home runs. He's not a guy that gives you many steals anymore. And I'm just not sure he's the type of guy I'm going to want on my team, especially if he's going to be going around that 200th slot like he is right now in the uh, NFBC data there. Well, I guess that becomes the the crux of it. If if there is popping that bat, if the if the overlay map uh, translates and some of those balls get over the fence, as Nick hypothesized, you you're looking potentially, and yes, a, a lot of things have to go right, and I know you're not a, a big believer in that. You're looking at a 20 to 25 home run guy if if some of those things click in again it it seems to me from the outside uh being in the car that friday morning when they announced that move it seemed as if they they had something uh over at the analytics desk that they really liked that we're not going to know about right now yeah i mean i definitely agree i think uh I think there's ways that he could succeed, but I'm just not sure I'm the guy to do it. And, you know, you don't want to be around uh, holding holding the bag if, if these things don't come about is what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. And like you said, I'm not the guy who's been uh, who wants the ifs and buts, you know, yeah, you know, as Dwight Schrute would say. If ifs and buts were candies and nuts, then every day would be Earth Donkersfest. So, there's that. <laughs> and, you know, Harry Carey had a version of that, but his was, we'd all have a Merry Christmas. Exactly. <laughs> when he was talking about that, that three-error inning where the ball just missed the guy's glove. Ugh. Don't remind me. Well, that about wraps up our debate then. So, the guys you thought I was too high on here, we had D. Gordon, which I agree. I think I'll be moving him down just a little bit. Yoan Mankata there, and also Ozzy Albies. Uh, you think I'm a bit too low on Brian Dozier, and I agree. I think I'll move him up a bit there. Kitel Marte, I was low on you, think. And then DJ LeMayhew to round that out. Another great session of our rankings debates loved it thank you much for that matt like as as always i want to finish out our podcast this week with our mailbag uh we, again we want to answer your questions on the air you can send those to us by email by emailing them to community at pitcherless.com or send them directly to myself on twitter at bristowski so our first one here does come from twitter uh, this is from at Matt from NL. He wants to know what we think of Scooter Jeanette this year. Um, he was wondering, you know, he's not he's pretty impressed with what he saw last year, and he's wondering what we think could be coming in 2019. So I'll let you lead this one off here. Well, Austin, in looking at Scooter Jeanette, uh, and we we had uh, some advanced awareness of the question, so I had some time to look at him uh and and matt thanks for uh reaching out to us uh i 
I saw somewhere an article a few months back. I can't quite remember where it was. It might have been over on fan tracks, and maybe it was apropos that I, I couldn't locate it. Uh, there was one particular piece that was maybe a little down on him that thought something was unsustainable in his metrics. But when I myself looked at Scooter Jeanette, I, I can't find a lot wrong right now. And uh, we didn't talk about him tonight in part because I, I think no news is good news. Uh, that's a, a really good lineup deepened by Puig and Kemp deepened certainly by Puig, even if Kemp is a little bit banged up. I, I think that Reds lineup was a good group of hitters without those two guys that I just mentioned. I think Scooter Jeanette uh, slots in as it, once again as a threat. I think you have him at number six, if I'm not mistaken, right between Albies and Shaw. I, I think I like that. I think that there's even the potential to – to surge a little bit higher he was as you might recall austin he went from being a question mark at second base to one of the better uh, ranked players in, in fantasy baseball as we yeah. got into uh, the second half of of 2018 uh i i think he's going to be i i'm using the word a lot tonight energized i, I may be throwing that around a little bit too much but <laughs> i think that the guys that were in Cincinnati previously have to be really excited about what this front office is doing, going out and being proactive, getting arms, getting depth in the lineup. Uh, guys like Jeanette and Votto, I think they're going to walk through that clubhouse door uh, pumped up and, and ready to challenge. They could be the, the Brewers of 17, that team that challenged. Yeah. And I think that Scooter Jeanette, uh, there's a lot, to like i recall uh, on mlb network last spring or maybe it was the spring of 17 but watching a, a segment on him and how he's really a, a student of hitting how he is really conscientious about hitting and and making improvement and and being a little bit of a late bloomer here as he comes to 29 years old on the first of may yeah I 100% agree. Um, I really like Jeanette. Like you said, I've got him as my sixth uh, second baseman there, uh, 79th overall. And I loved what we saw from him last year. I do think we'll see some regression in that 310 batting average. His BABIP was pretty inflated at 358. Uh, his career average is 333. 334 there so i think that could come down a bit but i would not be surprised at all if we got like a 285 290 average out of Jeanette with again uh mid 20s home runs and uh good rbi and run totals in the you know 90s there if we got 90 runs 90 rbis 25 home runs and a 290 average phew, I will take that every single day. And like you said, the underlying numbers all seem to make sense. Uh, his hard hit rate is at 38%, really getting close to that 40%. I love to see his soft hit rate is down. Uh, he's got a really nice 23% line drive rate. I love it when guys who you want to hit for average have that high line drive rate because it does push up the BABIP a bit there. I love what Jeanette brings to the table. He's in, like you said, a great lineup. He's in a great hitting park. Mm -hmm. uh, I think last season in 2018, it was even the best hitting park uh, beyond even Coors. So 
I think that a lot is set in the ways that things are supposed to be going right for Jeanette. I really wouldn't be surprised if we saw another good season from him in 2019. And I have him ranked that that way. And I have a similar feeling and looking forward uh, to watching him again uh, tackle the higher expectations that we've been talking about. Yeah, should be good. So there you go, Matt. That's uh, We like Jeanette. We think he's going to basically, we think it's legit. We think he's going to keep doing what he's doing, maybe with a bit of regression from that batting average. But otherwise, uh, I think it's pretty safe to take Jeanette uh, within a top 100, maybe even top 75 pick there. Our next question here comes from one of our uh, one of our people here in our Pitchless community. It is John Hale. He has a couple mm-hmm. questions, kind of a two-parter here. He wants to know, John asks, how do you approach players coming off A, a breakout season, and B, who you have a hunch will break out? So let's tackle that first one uh, first. How do you approach players going into in the next draft season that just broke out? So maybe a guy like Acuna or Albies, um, things like that. I think you just make sure. And, and by that, I mean, you go back and do all the research that you can, uh, read up, listen to what people are saying, uh, not only uh, inside the game, uh, what's being said by the GM, by the manager, um, on MLB radio, what's being said day to day uh, in the articles that you follow. But then also uh, looking at uh, the analysis pieces that come out, uh, that start to come out in the fall and work their way through the offseason cycle. Just making sure, making sure that uh, the metrics sort of uh, validate the eye test. Certainly it is a blend of both uh, metrics and, and between the lines. And I, I think. I think you just make sure that your assumptions, your feelings are, are being borne out by by what's there, by the body of work. Oftentimes, what you're seeing in real time, you don't know about until later in terms of some of the, the metrics, some of the, the data that uh, gets unearthed. You're, you're watching it as a fan. So I think that would be my uh, initial take on, on the first, on on breakouts, uh, sure. Just make make sure. Now, now, some are different than others. I yeah, think like, when when Mike me, Trout broke out, everybody knew. Okay, he, he's you're you're fine. Yeah, yeah. Mike Trout is Mike Trout is his own category of player that we are lucky to be seeing in this generation. For me, when it comes to looking at uh, guys who've broken out, like let's look at guys like. Um, say Max Muncie or Jesus Aguilar, um, Ozzy Albies, etc. Those kind of guys, especially I think Muncie and Aguilar are good ones to look at. But these are guys who've sort of done something in the minors, but were never really prospects. Uh, and all of a sudden they just come out here and they're hitting 30 plus home runs and kind of dominating the league. Well, how, how do we know if that's legit? How do we know if they're going to continue to do that? Um, as far when it comes to hitters, I especially like to look at some underlying statistics, such as um, swinging strike rate. I think is a great thing to look at for to see if uh, their strikeout rate is going to be uh, kind of 
you know, legit as far as that goes. I like to look at their batted ball profile. If they hit the ball hard, that's I, that's really good for power. If their uh, hard hit rate is getting close to or even over 40%, that's great for power. Um, their line drive rate is something I look at a lot. Even if you're looking at those power guys, I still love a hitter that has a high line drive rate. Anything really over 20% is nice. It'll drive up their BABIP, which will in turn drive up a hitter's um, batting average. As far as uh, someone like Muncie or Aguilar, where they are those power hitters, I want to see that fly ball rate, though. I want to see that be high and close to 40%, if not over. So it's all about the kind of player you want. Now, Albies, if I'm looking at him, I really wouldn't prefer him to have as high of a fly ball rate because I don't think he's that kind of traditional slugger that's going to be hitting 30-plus home runs all the Mm -hmm. time for him. I prefer that he has that higher line drive rate so he can get get on base, get get a batting average up and things like that. So... It's a matter of checking the underlying statistics and the data we have available to us. You can head over to StatCast and XStats as well to see what they have as far as that goes and uh, see if what they did in their breakout season really checks out or if maybe they were overperforming for the majority of the season. So I agree with Matt. It's a matter of just kind of checking on those lines and uh, seeing if everything is kind of reliable or where they're playing over their head, things along those lines. Now, as far as it goes for guys you think might break out, this one is a little bit trickier, I think, uh, because it's harder to identify those guys. Mm -hmm. It's hard because they haven't done it yet, obviously. Um, It's guys that you think, okay, they seem to have the skill set. Now, here's why I think they'll do it. And the tricky part about that is finding those players. Um, like I think Matt Olson is a great guy who might break out. He hits the ball extraordinarily hard. He's got a great hard hit rate and uh, fly ball rate. I think he could be someone on the level of Jesus Aguilar, maybe even better. I could, I realistically could see a 40 homer season from Matt Olson in 2019. So as far as looking for guys that you think will potentially break out, go look at. Um, Things like hard hit rate last season and see if there are guys there who didn't perform up to the level that you expect them to. I know the hard hit rate um, leaderboard will have guys like Matt Carpenter. Um, I know Matt Olson is up there, but he didn't perform as well. So that's a guy that you would look at. But other guys there, maybe J.D. Martinez, he's Aguilar, etc. You'll see a bunch of guys who have succeeded. Now look at and see if there are guys who are have those skills, but yet to have seen the production come through. Those are the guys who I will look to to break out. I think that one of the people, or one example rather, we touched on it a little bit earlier, Cattell Marte. I know we differ on him a bit, but sure, that's, all that's right. the file. You're, you're doing a couple of different things. You're, you're doing you're doing your own research certainly you're keeping in mind players from maybe a year or two past that that post hype sleeper category where a couple of things started to go well but it didn't quite happen yet uh you might even say that about uh a guy like nomar mazara although he's had some good numbers i think people are still looking for and waiting for a little more Sure, but and he's only like 23. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you're, it, it's at times a little more art than science. Sometimes you're, you're playing a, a gut feel, which is okay if if you've got a general knowledge of of someone. Maybe maybe he plays in your city and you've seen him play a lot. You pick up something that the radio guy said that uh, a lot of other people aren't going to to pick up on necessarily. I think it's a blend, like the first part of this question, it's a blend of a lot of different things. A- Aguiar, you made a, a nice reference to him. He's got a roof on a park in the cold Midwest. Yeah. He, he comes to the park in the afternoon knowing he's going to play that night. Might be sleeting on the 17th of April, but he's going to play and he's going to get that rhythm going early in the season. We talked, uh, I know uh, Nick had a podcast recently where he talked about Anthony Rizzo uh, not being able to get in that rhythm last April with the cold. Now, he's not a, a breakout guy. We're not talking about him, but it just goes to research and picking up on things like that. What's what's the role? What what's we've been talking about that a lot tonight. What is Sure, if, if what you is find so someone role? who if you find someone who hasn't had a regular role in the in the lineup and now is looking to get into that role, that's another place where someone could succeed, where they will be able to have more opportunity. Definitely. Good call there. Yeah, the Profar breakout, even though it's already sort of started, it could continue in in Oakland because he's slotted in uh, to second base, in essence. They they parted ways with Jed Lowry and sort of uh, flipped him the keys to the castle. Sure. I'm so excited about Profar. (laughs) <laughs> that could be fun. That was kind of a long-winded answer, but there's a, it's a tricky question. It's, I really like what you said. A lot of times, this is less, less science and more art. Uh, there's because there's no exact way to do things. There's a lot of different ways you can go about it. Mm-hmm. And if you find something, if you find something that you have had success with, feel free to stick with that. But also look into those newer things. Like I mentioned, X stats and uh, the StatCast data. I am not 100% comfortable with those yet, but I've been trying to work them into my analysis more uh, because it's just another tool in your belt at that point. Uh, there's definitely, it, it can't hurt at all because you know that it's just more information for you about a particular player. The Colorado guys, uh, Hampson and McMahon, you might hit on one of them. You might hit on both of them if it breaks right. Uh, sure. They they might it might happen for neither one of them in 2019, but you're watching both of them, and something happens in 2020. We've touched upon Hampson a, a couple of times tonight. He wasn't a core part of our episode here, but we've touched on him for a couple of times, tying into I think some of the topics raised in this question. Absolutely. John had. Great question, John. Made for a really nice discussion there. And that is about going to wrap it up for us. This was a lot of fun. It was. And thank you so much uh, for guiding a, a rookie through uh, a debut podcast. Uh, learned a lot tonight. Had a lot of fun uh, 
bouncing things off of you, and I really enjoyed it and look forward to the next one. Oh, I mean, you sound like a pro out there. You're used to talking in front of people. You're very eloquent. It's great to have you on. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, one more time, give us your uh, Twitter handle before we sign off here. It's at announcer Matt. Announcer, just as you always spell it with two N's, announcer Matt, M-A-T-T, no spaces or underscore. Fantastic. Make sure you guys get out there. Give Matt a follow on Twitter. Great guy. I'm very excited to see as your career here at Pitcher List kind of takes off now that you've joined us here. And I think that'll about wrap it up for us. You got anything else to say before we sign off here? I think, again, uh, we're going to see Austin as we get into spring training. A lot of these questions are starting to sort out. And let's get some of these big fish signed. Oh, right? man, it's January 22nd. We still don't know where Harper's going to play. I don't know where Machado's going to play. That's going to make things a lot easier. You're totally right. Two teams we talked about tonight, both directly impacted by Machado, the Yankees and the White Sox. And we talked about Harper a lot, too, when we were talking about Brian Dozier. Sure. Yep, it's definitely going to be – we've got a lot of offseason left, so – going to be interesting as we move our way into february and then it's already going to be march in a draft season so i look forward to it and uh we'll be here throughout the whole thing like i said i've got a podcast a week for the next seven weeks now we're three into this one it's going to be great and pitch list is going to be there for you all along the way so with that for matt mclaughlin my name is austin bristow a second and this has been on the list.